Well, again, good morning. I've got some announcements, but I'm going to wait and share them at the end of our service this morning. So if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're going to be in Romans 14 and Romans 15 this morning as we continue our series on the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 14 and Romans chapter 15. We're actually just going to look at two verses this morning, but in these two verses, they're chocked full of a lot of good information for us because in these verses, we are reminded of how important a part the Holy Spirit plays in our life in helping us to identify certain things and and enable us to do certain things that without Him, we wouldn't have the capacity or ability to do. And by the way, I'll just say this. Some people here may have come and said, it's Easter. I I thought you were going to do a message on the resurrection of Jesus. I'm just not one of those pastors, okay? Um, It's not that there's anything wrong with that. Absolutely not. But I believe that, as I said earlier, that as a Christian, I celebrate the resurrection of my Lord Jesus every day. Every day. So, you know, once a year, that's not near enough. And then secondly, too, we as a church have to realize that the whole reason we meet on Sunday, 52 weeks a year, is that that's really 52 opportunities for us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, not just once a year. Because the whole reason the early church started meeting on Sunday rather than Saturday, which is the Sabbath, is because Sunday was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So when the church started to meet, they met on the first day of the week, Sunday, to literally commemorate and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So when you go to church every Sunday, you have to remind yourself, we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus every week and every day, not just once a year, okay? So anyway, I got that off my chest now. (laughs) Romans chapter 14, let's look first of all at verse 17. For the kingdom of God, that is simply a way of saying where God rules in the hearts of those that he has saved. That's where the kingdom of God is seen today. One day, the Bible says, Jesus Christ is literally going to rule and reign on earth and establish a worldwide earthly kingdom. But until that kingdom comes, he has another kingdom that he is already developing and establishing, and that is in the hearts of those of us who believe in him as our Savior and who believe in him as the Son of God. That's where the kingdom of God now is seen. And so Paul says to the Roman Christians, the kingdom of God does not consist of food and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy, notice, in the Holy Spirit. The first thing I want us to see today is this. The Holy Spirit enables us to have a focus or to keep our focus or to maintain our focus. You'll notice in verse 17 of chapter 14 that basically what Paul is saying is, don't get caught up in things that don't really matter. Keep focused on the major things, the things that are priority. And to God, food and drink is not the priority. 
righteousness, joy, and peace. Those things inside of us that can be manifested externally, but not the things externally that can be done. I mean, Jesus even said this. He says, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of him. And so Paul's saying the same thing. We get caught up on the externals and God is all concerned and focused on the internals, which are really the eternals. And so Paul's saying to the church at Rome, the Holy Spirit will enable us to focus on the things that really matter. In fact, you'll notice why he says that. Look at verse 19. He says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for building up one another. One of the reasons why Paul was saying we in Rome and even we here have to keep our focus is when you and I start majoring on minor things rather than majoring on the major things, that can start to cause division and strife and disunity and and fighting and quarreling and all those things. And that's what was beginning to happen at the church in Rome and is obviously something that could happen in any church or any community of believers or any home or any time where there's more than one person, there can be that opportunity. And Paul says, the Holy Spirit allows us, enables us to keep focused on what really matters. So today, when we think about the Holy Spirit, we've got to think about where are my priorities in life? First of all, do I have the Holy Spirit living within me and and am I listening to his voice and am I yielding to his leadership in order to land my life, to, to make the priorities of my life, what would be the priorities that God wants to see in my life, you see? The other thing I think we need to spend a minute on here is the whole idea of distraction. You know, something else the Holy Spirit can enable us to do that's really hard for us to do as human beings, and especially especially in the world in which we live today. In fact, I just heard a story this morning on the news about this. Because of all the social media and everything that's been created in our generation, do you realize that they're, they're finding out even by studies, they did a study of Stanford University students, which, so you're not talking about people that don't have a lot of, you know, intellectual capability. You're talking about top-notch, right? That they have found that because we live in a world today where we just flit from one thing to another, we, we can't stay focused on any one thing for very long, that the average person there could only stay focused on something in a 10-minute period for about 25 seconds. Because we're so used to even, you, you, know, you see people with their phone, what are they doing? Zoom, zoom, zoom. And they're putting all this information before them and they're just going from one piece to another piece. And pretty soon it's like, I get tired of that, I'm going over here. And we just, we cannot, we cannot stay focused on anything. And the challenge is, especially in the church, is God calls us to teach people his word. And yet I thought about that even this morning. I thought, boy, that's a humbling thing for a teacher. People can't stay focused for more than like 25 or 30 seconds on anything before their mind starts to wander and go here and there. It's like some of you right now. (laughs) You're already thinking about what you're eating for dinner on Easter Sunday and what you're going to do later tonight and what this coming week holds and stuff. And you're not really there, see? Listening, paying attention. It's a challenge. 
But through the Holy Spirit, through his supernatural enablement, he can help us stay focused. You know, sometimes even Christians say, I have such a hard time staying in prayer. Holy Spirit will help that. I have a hard time opening my Bible and, and, and staying with it for more than five minutes. Holy Spirit will help you with that. The Holy Spirit will help us focus and stay focused and maintain our focus on the things that really matter and not get our lives caught up in the things that, again, a thousand years from now, a million years from now, in eternity won't matter at all. That's the first thing. Then you come to chapter 15. Look at verse 13. The rest are found there. Paul says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in Him, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The next seven things are found in this one verse. And the first thing I want you to see is this, though. That it is the God, our God, the God of the Bible, who imparts and inspires hope. I love that title for God here. The God of hope. And now I want us to think about that. Because it's the Holy Spirit who really connects us with hope. And what is that? I'm going to tell you today... It is our fearlessness. When you understand biblical hope, it really could be condensed into one word. Not only maintaining our focus, but being fearless. You say, how does hope make me fearless? Well, I talked about this at at Al Irwin's memorial service a little bit this past week. The way hope is used in our society, there's nothing sure or certain about it. We usually use it in this context. I hope something happens or I hope for this. And it's a wish. It's a desire of ours that we hope happens, but there's no surety, there's no certainty to it. But that's not biblical hope. You see, biblical hope is something that I can absolutely be confident about. I can absolutely be sure and certain about because it's not based on anything that's, in a sense, out of control. It's based on God, the reality of God, on the character of God, and on what God has said. That I have come to be persuaded that what God said is trustworthy, reliable, and dependable. And that who he has revealed himself to be is where my confidence is. You see, that's really what biblical hope is. It is confident expectation in the future or in what God has said. Because I know it's going to happen. Why? Not because I have any control over it or anybody else does. But because God exists and God said it. And therefore I believe it because it's going to happen because God said it. That's confidence. And that kind of confidence makes us fearless. You see, you and I don't know what our future is. But if I believe in the God of the Bible and I have hope created by Him through a relationship with Him, then I know that my future is in the hands of that God and I can trust Him. Therefore, I don't have to fear that even though I don't know what my future is, I know that through the Holy Spirit and through His power, He can give me that confidence and even anticipation and expectation about what's coming because I know God said it and I believe it. And I can have that kind of 
hope. See, that, and that's obviously so foreign to most people in the world today. That's why we live in a world of fear, not fearlessness. And that's why we live in a world of hopelessness rather than hope. As I shared at our service, there's only two kinds of people in this world. Those who have hope and those who have no hope. And every one of you here today, you're fitting into one of those two categories. You either have hope because of the presence of God in your life, or you have no hope because God's not there. Therefore, you cannot face your future fearlessly. You, you have no confidence... You have no expectation or anticipation about what's coming and even if it's good or bad or anything because you don't have that kind of fearlessness that Paul talks about. And the only way that you and I can get there is to be connected to the God of hope, to have a relationship with the God of hope. Again, who imparts it, the only one, and who inspires it in our life through the Holy Spirit who lives within each of us. Are you facing your life right now in fear? Is there a lot of anxiety and worry and concern, fretting, sleepless nights? Or are you living your life being able to lay your head on the pillow at night and just resting because again, not that you know what's going to happen, but you know God does. And you know he loves you. And you know that he's got your best interest at heart because that's what the Bible reveals. And that he's got you. And nothing is going to hit you without it first coming through the loving hands of your heavenly father that we talked about last week. Crying out, Abba, Father. And that you know he's got a perfectly good plan, not only for you, but for the the rest of what's going to happen here on this earth. And so you can live fearlessly because of that hope. Well, notice this also. I love this. He says, now may the God of hope fill you. It's not just enough to have focus and have fearlessness. I've got to have that filling. You notice I've got a pattern going here. Filling. And this word filling is a great word. It means to permeate something thoroughly or to literally fill something to the brim so that there's no room for anything else. That's the picture there. Think of it like, you know, a glass of water. You just keep pouring it in until it just, it over, you can't put another drop in. That's what God wants to do with us through the Holy Spirit so that we can not just have hope and and in a minute have joy and peace, but so that it can fill us up. And so that we can be full of all of these things. Again, part of then the the problem is that we are so full of other things and we are not allowing God to fill us or there's no more room for God in our lives because we have filled our lives with all these other things that don't bring us any hope, that don't bring us any joy, that don't bring us any lasting peace. And then we wonder, why don't I have any hope? Why am I always afraid? Why don't I have any confidence? Why why don't I have joy and peace like other people? Maybe we got to look back and go, do you have any room for God to fill you? You see. Because what God is saying to us is, if you trust me enough to fill you up with me, 
then you'll have all these things in abundance. And there won't be room to be, you know, afraid and worrying and, you know, fretting and anxious and stressed out all the time because you'll be filled up with all the fullness of God that a human being can be when you and I allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. And we'll come back to this in a few moments, but that's why the Holy Spirit also, or the Bible also commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To empty, in a sense, ourselves of ourselves because it's self that gets in the way. It's self that wants to be in the driver's seat instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to lead. And when that happens, then we can't be filled up with the fullness of God. In order to stay focused on the things that really matter, the things that should be the priorities of our life, and to live a life of fearlessness because of all that hope that God wants to create and bring into our lives. Then next, notice the frame of mind. When you and I are allowing God to keep our focus where it needs to be, which creates in us a fearlessness of the hope that he builds into our lives through the filling of the Holy Spirit, we can have a frame of mind that has not just some joy and peace. Notice the word all. And I share this a lot. I won't say all the time. But all, all means, and that's all, all means. And so God is saying, I'll fill you with all all joy and all peace. Do you have joy and peace today in your life? You know it pretty quickly. How about those around you? You have a lot of people around you that are just filled with all joy and all peace. That's the frame of mind. That's the the tranquil mind that God wants to bring about in our lives. And you and I know we don't live in a world of joy and peace. We live in a world where people are angry, where people are frustrated, where people lash out. They have no joy and peace in their life because God is saying... Here's how you get joy and peace through the Holy Spirit. And if someone doesn't have God in their life or they are shutting down the influence of the Holy Spirit in their life, then they will not experience joy and peace in their life. They will suppress the Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, let me go back to that previous point. That's something I wanted to mention and forgot to. When God says, I want to fill you, I want to permeate you thoroughly, that means he's saying to us, I want to be the greatest influencer in your life or the greatest influence of your life. That's why I want to fill you. Because part of the problem of why you and I don't enjoy the hope and joy and peace that God wants to give us is because he's not the greatest influence in our life. We allow other things and other people to speak into our lives to a greater degree than we do God. And that saps us of the hope and joy and peace that we could have. The reason why God says, I want to fill you is so that the greatest influence of our life, the greatest influencer of our life is God himself. And God says, when you allow me through my spirit that lives within you to influence you more than anything else then you'll experience all joy and all peace. 
Let's talk for just a moment about those two words because we use them a lot in, in our Christian circles, but do we really not only understand them, but do we really experience them? The word joy speaks about this inner sense of well-being that has nothing to do with our outward circumstances. Because no matter what happens externally or outwardly, it cannot change the joy, again, that exists internally inside of each of us that know the Lord as our Savior. Why? Because we know that between us and God, we're okay. We have now peace with God through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you and I look to Jesus to save us, the Bible says that we were justified, not by what we have done, but by placing our faith, and we're going to get to that in a minute, in what Jesus did on the cross... And we know that God now has forgiven us. And now we have peace with God. And because we have peace with God, we can have the peace of God and we can start to experience this joy that is not dependent on outward circumstances or the situations in my life. See, that's the difference between happiness and joy. And the world settles to try to find happiness. Because happiness is just dependent on circumstances. As long as everything's going well in my life and, you know, all, everything's good, I can be a happy person. But as soon as the circumstances change, boom, there they go. Down to the pits. Joy is something that for a Christian that is produced through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can have regardless of my circumstances. And can I tell you, I can testify to the reality of this, not only in my life, but as a pastor for 33 years in other people's lives. I have seen it. And if you doubt it, go to a children's hospital sometime. And see some child that is dying of cancer and yet has a smile on their face. And who is visited by adults who leave there in tears and go, they blessed me more than I could have ever blessed them. You explained that naturally to me. I'm telling you that's supernatural. That is the power of God. And that's the only way that can be explained. And you can even use an adult who goes through horrific circumstances and who doesn't feel well and who may be even dying themselves, and yet they say, just like Al used to say, I'm blessed. Al used to stand out there in the lobby every week. That man lived on 40% of his heart for about 40 years. You'd never know it. Always had a smile on his face. When people would ask him how he's feeling, he'd say, I'm blessed. Man never complained about anything. I'm telling you, there are people that have way less things to deal with than Al did and yet they complain and gripe every day of their lives. And yet here's a man who could have had every right to complain about things every day and didn't. And the only explanation, my friends, is the power of God in his life. And that same power can be evident in our life as God fills us through his Holy Spirit with joy and with peace. And the word peace, speaks about everything being together or one. It speaks about a tranquility of mind, a calm composure. Do you have that this morning? Or is your mind just always racing? Always in turmoil? Always twisted? Always fretting? Always worried? Always anxious? Always stressed out? 
You realize Jesus said, basically, you're killing yourself when you live that way. That's why Jesus says, don't worry. Because can worrying change anything? And they've already, you know, even 90% of what we worry about never even comes to fruition anyway. And so many people live their life with this as like the dominant thing they think about all the time. What if this? What if that? God never wants us to live that way. And people who always are asking the what if questions are not experiencing the peace that passes all understanding. Our frame of mind. Notice though our responsibility, our faith. Notice he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him. In him, our faith. Faith is our responsibility and faith is our response to God's revelation, what God has revealed about himself. That's what faith is. See, faith is trust and confidence in God and in what he has said. That's why it's different than belief. Even though the word believe here is used, the better word would have been faith because the Bible says the demons believe in God. In other words, belief in this way is just an intellectual assent or understanding. I know something. The demons know God. But the demons have no trust or confidence in God. They would rather do things themselves. I've got this God. Which is why Lucifer fell in the first place. God, I know better than you. I want control of my own life. I'm out of here. Faith is saying, no, God, I don't know more than you. I don't know better than you. And I'm trusting in you and I'm placing all my confidence in you. That's what faith is. And you'll notice here that it's the only way that you and I can enjoy the hope, the peace, and the joy of God is when we believe. Which again is why even some Christians who believe in God in their head, in a sense, and even know that he exists inside of them, never come to a place in their life where they can sustain hope, joy, and peace in their life for very long. Why? Because their lack of faith. Do you really believe that God said, I want to pour out my blessing from heaven until it overflows in your life? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think? Do you believe that my God and your God shall supply all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus? Do you really believe that you and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens us? Do you really believe there's anything too hard or too difficult for God? You see, we can say, I believe that in my head. And we can give intellectual assent to that. But believing it is really trusting it and placing my confidence in it. And that's sometimes what separates Christians even, if you will. Those that truly enjoy the hope and the peace and, and the joy of God in their life. And those who struggle to find it. Because they're never really willing and ready to let go and let control over to God and truly trust Him. So that that faith bursts 
in their life these things of hope, joy, and peace. See, there's so many Christians today go, God, why don't I have any hope, joy, and peace in my life? You're not doing it, God. You're doing, you're not, you know, you're, you're lacking something or you're not doing something in my life. And God says, maybe it's your lack of faith in me that's causing you to be deficient in your joy and peace and not anything that I haven't done. You know, we're very easy to point the finger at other people or even at God. If God, you know, it's your fault. And God only gives us one responsibility. Believe. He'll do the rest. He'll supply the hope. He'll supply the joy. He'll supply the peace. All he asks is believe in me. Trust in me. Place your confidence in me. And then I love this. Notice the word abound in verse 13. That speaks about the flood that God wants to bring into your life. The flood of hope. Abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The word abound was used in Greek culture to speak literally about a river that overflowed its banks. It it, it speaks about exceeding or excelling the boundary. In other words, it's a word that speaks about it's more than enough. Overflowing. You could use that word. God wants us not just to have hope, but to literally live lives that are overflowing with hope, overflowing with confidence, abounding in it. So that not only does it overflow into my life, but it literally splashes over other people as well. Which is really the way we're supposed to live our lives. Out of the overflow of what God does in us so that other people can be impacted, influenced, and affected by our life. And isn't that what Peter said? He said, set Jesus Christ apart in your hearts so that when someone comes up to you and asks you the reason of the hope that is in you, you can respond with meekness and humility. Think about that. How many people come up to us on a regular basis as Christians and say, I got to ask you about that hope. And maybe the reason why more people aren't asking us about the hope that is within us is because they can't see that hope every day. We're not manifesting. It's not overflowing in our life the way God wants it to abound. See, when God gives, God isn't a skimpy giver. God isn't just like, I'm just going to drop a little bit of me or a little bit of this or a little bit of that in there. No, God says, I want to pour it out. I want to pour out my blessing. I want to pour out hope. I want to pour out joy. I want to pour out peace. I want you to be overflowing with me. I want me, God, to flood into your life and totally transform your frame of mind, your way of thinking, your mindset, your perspective. Your attitude, everything. I want it to be different because I have flooded into your life. And then one more thing. Our fuel. All of this, Paul says to the Roman Christians and to us, only is brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our fuel. Let me illustrate it this way. Are you a rowboat or a speedboat? Think about that. 
A rowboat requires human effort. A speedboat is moved based on another power source. A rowboat represents my determination to get there. A speedboat represents the Christian who relies on the power of the Holy Spirit to propel him forward and get him where he needs to go. And the only requirement, if you're a speedboat, is to just get filled up. Which is why the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. Because we know just even as a speedboat pulls out of that dock, dissipation will occur immediately based upon how far the speedboat's got to go, how fast it goes, whether it's using air conditioning or not. There's a lot of factors that begin to dissipate the fuel. And the same thing is true with us. We can get filled up, but the fuel doesn't last. That's why God says, you got to keep coming back to me and getting filled. Because you can't expect to keep being propelled by the Holy Spirit without being filled up all the time. Which is why I encourage people. You got to get into the word every day. You got to pray. You got to avail yourself of the things that the Holy Spirit can do to fill you up. You got to come to church faithfully and get filled up on God's people and on worship and on the word. And too many Christians fail to pull into the filling station and then wonder why they run dry and they run on empty and why then they go back, even if they get to the speedboat level for a while, they go back to the rowboat and the Christian life gets really hard because it's not like they're not putting forth effort just like the person in the rowboat. Oh my goodness, they're putting forth a lot of effort. In fact, way more than the person who's just gliding along in the speedboat. And they're determined... But my goodness, they look over at the speedboat and that guy's just going. <laughs> Rowboat, speedboat. Where's the fuel of your life? Are you trying to muster up from within yourself, you know, the old, you know, humanistic, I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps type of philosophy and... I'm going to gut this out and I'm going to try to pull it up within myself and I'm just going to do it. Folks, I I don't care how strong of a person you are. And some of you may be very humanly strong. There's still a limit to your human strength. There's still going to come a time where something's going to come into your life that's bigger than what you can handle on your own. And then what are you going to do? See, God says it never has to be that way. God says, I'll not only be with you when the big things happen, I'll be with you through everything. Let's let's just do life together. And when a Christian sees that the secret of life is living with the fuel of the Holy Spirit, my goodness, it's not that life gets easy, but it's just that I'm being propelled through life by another power source other than myself. And I don't have to sit there and try to keep rolling. And doing it all myself. I've got the supernatural helper. The power of God himself living within me who propels me through. Think of your life this way. This is another good illustration. It's not that you and I don't have to do anything. Again, we're responsible for some things. But think of every human life as a sailboat. And living to me under the power of the Holy Spirit is when you and I every day wake up and literally put our sail up and say, okay, God, 
I need to get from point A to point B, but I'm not going to try to do it all on my own. I'm going to have the wind of your spirit carry me through this day. The other choice is I can let the sail down and just try to do it myself. And obviously we know if you've ever been on a ship that has a sail and a ship that doesn't use its sail, big difference. Big difference. And that's the difference of the Holy Spirit. He enables us to keep our focus. He enables us to be fearless, to be filled up so that the frame of our mind is joy and peace. He enables us to be flooded with hope. And He's the fuel for our life. But make no mistake about it. The only way we can enjoy this kind of life and this hope and this joy and peace is by looking to God. He's the source. He is the God of hope. He's the God of joy. He's the God of peace. He's the only one that can give it to us. Are you and I willing to look to Him and receive from Him what only He can do for us? Or are we going to still try to figure out this life on our own and try to create in our life our own reality? And our own joy and peace and hope, which really isn't real joy, peace and hope. It's a facsimile or it's 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 something that we build up in place of the real thing. God wants to give you the real thing. And there's nothing like the real thing that God can give. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, I pray today that each of us would realize here today what a difference you can make in one's life. God, you can make all the difference in the world through the presence and power of your Holy Spirit living within us. And you have promised us that for those of us who trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we will have the presence and power of the Holy Spirit living within us every day of our human life and existence here on earth. But it's also up to us, even once we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, to have the faith to trust and put our confidence in you and in what you've said and to truly rely on it and depend on it and rest in it. Because, God, the only way we can enjoy the joy and peace and hope that we've talked about today is by looking to you to to give it to us, to grant it to us, to bestow it. We can't manufacture true joy, peace, and hope. They come as gifts from you. So, God, I pray today that each of us here on this Sunday, April the 1st, 2018, would look unto you, God, and receive from you what only you can give us. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing this song. And let's mean it. Let's look to the Lord today so that those of us who are here who have that faith to look to God can begin to truly experience the joy and peace and hope that God wants us to have. Looking is so important. God told Moses, if you create this bronze serpent, And you lift it up. And my people have the faith to look to it. They will be healed. So God is saying to us today, look to me. I am your deliverer. 
I am your Savior. I am your strength. I am your hope. I am your peace. I am your joy. Look to the Lord today.